Welcome to the Location Technology Podcast from Kuppa, bringing you everything you need to know about all things location. Find out more at kuppa.com forward slash podcast. The evolution of hybrid RTLS. Today, under the umbrella of RTLS or real-time locating systems, there are a variety of technologies and techniques that are essentially trying to make sense of what's where at any given point in time. At Gopa, we've observed that the market is no longer interested in using one single RTLS technology to solve a single use case, but a variety of technologies to provide solutions not only in a single environment, but across different environments in facilities, both indoor, outdoor, and everything in between. The following session is a recording from Gopa's location innovation event, where industry experts share their own thoughts and opinions, as well as discussing this topic in detail. The topic of our next panel is hybrid RTLS, and uh, what what really makes this panel so exciting is our wonderful group of panelists, which are there to say that in in total we have more than more than 50 years of uh, RTLS experience in total here, and and we really represent a variety of RTLS technologies. Um, but RTLS, for those who don't know, I bet many know it, but it refers to real-time locating systems. The term itself was coined um, from the reliable source from Wikipedia. I read that it's coined um, somewhere a little bit, bit uh, before 2000. And uh, back in the days, uh, the technologies in play were um, RFID and infrared. And the allegedly the first commercial deployments took place in the 90s in the healthcare domain, which still much um, seems to get a lot of love from, from technology providers and, and solution providers as well. And we also may call it a little bit of a red ocean because uh, there is a lot of, lot of crowd um, in that space. However, today uh, under the umbrella of, of RTLS, there are a variety of technologies and, and techniques that essentially are uh, making sense of the what is where. At Coupa, we have observed that the now the market is not no longer interested in only like a point solution, so one RTLS technology to solve one problem in one silo, but rather a variety of technologies that solve multiple problems and then hence uh, providing visibility to, to multiple processes in, out and between the facilities. In manufacturing, this could be supply chain visibility of components and in healthcare, for example, blood sample transportation from the hospital to lab and back. But enough of my rumbling, so now it's time to pick the brains of our panelists. So without further ado, let panelists to introduce themselves. So this would be roughly a max two minutes about introduction of you, your company, your role in the company, and, and perhaps some highlight of your RTLS history. And let's start in the alphabetical order. So Andy, why don't you take the first, first run on this? Thanks, Santi. So yeah, my name's uh, Andy Ward. Um, I've been working in the RTLS uh, business, if you will, since uh, I was at university 30 years ago. Uh, I uh, did my PhD in sensor-driven computing using location data to drive computer systems. And uh, I'm currently CTO at Ubisense, uh, which is a company 
that sells RTLS technology and solutions to industrial customers primarily, uh, but we also have customers in uh, transit, military, entertainment, and so on. And uh, we build those systems using our own ultra-wideband tracking technology, but we also use uh, great sensors from third-party uh, suppliers like Cooper, uh, who we're proud to be partners with, um, uh, to, to help gather information for those solutions. And then we take that information into a location platform that we sell called SmartSpace uh, to deliver you know, end-to-end -end, uh, solutions for our customers. And about 5% uh, of the world's cars are now built using UbiSense solutions. So uh, that's uh, a kind of potted history of my uh, activities in RTLS. Thank you, Andy. And, and we, we are just trying to guess here what is the, the manufacturer then, but uh, let's go to Richard. How about you go then? Hi, um, I'm Rich Lansdowne. I'm currently Senior Director of Business Development within the Laura business of Semtech. Um, yeah, like Andy, I was kicking around in university in Southampton about 30 years ago. Um, got a master's in information engineering. I started life working in radio and wireless in the cellular industry before becoming uh, a system on chip development specialist with Nokia mobile phones back back in the day when that was the bleeding edge. Um, so I've been with Semtech almost 25 years now. Uh, and prior to joining the LoRa team, I, I used to run our precision synchronization business. Um, I joined the LoRa team in 2015, right after the LoRa Alliance has been founded. And over the next couple of years or so, people started referring to me as the geolocation guy after I managed to get myself involved in so many aspects of bringing geolocation to LoRaWAN as a technology. So um, I guess more recently, as we developed a uh, silicon to cloud concept where we embed features inside the silicon that link, um, get controlled, managed um, by the cloud, I ended up having to uh, build out the cloud services team that now take care of uh, what's, what is uh, LoRa Cloud and they're up and running. I believe deeply in um, taking a design thinking approach to create these kind of novel super, uh, solutions for real real life applications. And for sure, I think hybrid RTLS is really one of those things that really benefits from that. So right now, I guess I've transitioned into the business development team, uh, focusing on bringing ecosystem players together, addressing some kind of points of friction and delivery of their IoT uh, solutions. Um, part of my role is working with uh, strategic relationships um, like we have with, with SAS and uh, adding LoRaWAN-based sensing to their world-leading sort of data analytics, IoT solutions. And I have to say, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this panel with Andy and Steve and like to really thank uh, Cooper for the opportunity to talk with such interesting guys on a topic that's absolutely is close to my heart. So uh, thanks for that. Thank you, Richard. Steve? I feel like a relative newcomer to this space in the presence of Andy and Rich. I first started working with Bluetooth tags and beacons almost 10 years ago when I was at Qualcomm. We developed one of the first commercial Bluetooth beacon solutions, which ended up supporting iBeacon, and we deployed our product at all of the Apple stores and the Super Bowl and uh, banks and so forth. And uh, when I left to start my own company, I, I bootstrapped it by consulting with companies that were interested in RTLS, um, 
one of them actually uh, we ended up deploying a Cooper solution, uh, which was later featured when uh, the Bluetooth SIG um, started uh, pushing their uh, instantiation of uh, angle of arrival in, in the Bluetooth stack. Um, so anyway, I wrote a book uh, called Beacon Technologies, distinguished by probably being one of the longest books on uh, uh, Bluetooth uh, beacons and, and tags. I started a podcast called Mr. Beacon five years ago. I have over 100 episodes, many of them featuring uh, uh, Cooper. Uh, and uh, now I am head of marketing at a company called Williot. Uh, we are a sensing as a service company that's also a semiconductor designer, and we've developed um, uh, a tag that looks like this. It's uh, basically a very uh, low-cost uh, Bluetooth um, tag. Um, it's actually a computer, three cores, ARM processor, RAM, ROM, uh, and uh, I'm super excited to uh, um, be working in this ecosystem and seeing it go to the next level as uh, as RTLS becomes a ubiquitous part of uh, many different uh, businesses. Thank you, Steve. And uh, my name is Santupuli. I'm basically the tag guy at Coop. And now that I uh, computed the, the numbers together, we have about 80 years of total experience here. So I was, I was a little bit shy on my estimate, but let's see what we make out of that. So as in any, any panel, we have, uh, we have some questions drafted to guide the discussion, but feel free when you have some juicy sidetrack to take the topic, feel free to, uh, to, to venture there. And, and so I have at least some, some job to do to, to tame the discussion and bring ourselves in the track. We have roughly, I would say, 30 minutes to cover the topic. Let's see where we end up. Are you, are you guys ready? Let's go. All righty. So uh, the first one would be, uh, where are we now with the maturity of RTLS technologies? Um, it's a little bit wide question, but uh, who wants to go first? What's the status of the maturity of RTLS technologies? I'm happy to pitch in. I think it's a very exciting time. I think all of us have uh, been at the bleeding edge of this, and uh, I, I really feel like uh, we have a robust toolbox with solutions that can uh, deliver uh, against different dimensions of cost, accuracy, uh, interoperability. Um, I, I think um, the role of angle of arrival, Bluetooth angle of arrival is an important one. Uh, we're now at a point where multiple vendors are, are, are uh, uh, jumping on that. It's no longer an exotic thing. Um, mm -hmm. It's uh, affordable. Uh, it's, uh, it's accurate. Um, it has its limitations. And when, when those limitations uh, hit, you have uh, some exciting options with uh, ultra wideband. And we're starting to see um, the, the Wi-Fi access point vendors uh, with less accurate solutions, but uh, solutions that are becoming more and more accessible and available at, at very low cost. Um, and uh, I think we're also starting to see business drivers that are driving uh, more broader adoption of these technologies. So that's my, my starter. I, I think we might be at the, we might just perhaps be at the, the end of the beginning. 
right? I mean, we're not at the end, but we might be at the end of the beginning. And I think that um, what it kind of reminds me of is what the first time I saw a mobile phone was when my uncle, who's a kind of a rural doctor, showed up with a, a kind of cellular phone in his car. And it was kind of functional and it was a huge, great big brick, but it did what it did what he needed. And I kind of think that that's where we're at with RTLS. That you know, if you need RTLS, then there are technologies out there that are perfectly serviceable. Um, but we're miles off, you know, it being ubiquitous. So if you kind of think the mobile phones took in the late 90s before that happened, and you know, you, you, the the kind of the promise, I think, you know, end promise of RTLS, uh, you know, the capabilities that we will be able to achieve with it um, are a bit like kind of you know being in the mid 80s and then looking towards mobile internet on your mobile phone, right? There's there's a long way to go yet, but I think we're at the point, as Steve says, where there are perfectly functional kind of technologies that, that you know, will solve certain problems with certain limitations. And uh, for sure, you know, this, you know, we've had RTLS around for decades, um, but it's really been much more tethered than we're going to expect to see. You know, it's going to become let's say untethered it's going to you know drop into as as um, steve showed there you know the the little tags things that are built with a you know lifetime battery that don't have to be recharged because they they come with everything they need to for their entire existence and because the, everyone's thinking rtls self driving vehicles drones all of those things but that's that's one driver one major driver but um you know, I think we would talk some more about it perhaps, but um, moving into, I just want to know where things are. I just want to know where all of my stuff is. And then there's a big data context, which I don't think we've even really touched on, which is if I have lots more little pieces of information that are location aware, you get a much better picture. The more you can geotag information, the more uh, rich it can become. Uh, we were talking just, about to, uh, pitch, just to pitch in here, I, I think one of the factors, and it's easy to forget it, uh, is that where the consumer is with RTLS, the, the fact that Apple is now marketing these uh, beautiful tags that uh, kind of essentially do what Tile did, but with a mixture of Bluetooth and uh, ultra wideband. Um, I, I think uh, as vendors in this space, you you need um, drivers at the very top of organizations through to the specialists line of business managers to, to ask the question, you know, why can't I find this stuff? If I can find everything else in my home, uh, why can't I, I find this? So, uh, and they can see that the technology is is good. You can have your phone and you can literally point to where an asset is and so I think that is going to be raising the need and raising the level of education and spurring on uh, us vendors to do better and better to to match the the bar that's being set in the consumer space. Now that we were talking about drivers but do you see something that would really hold us back like uh, RTL is becoming, becoming more of a mainstream is it the information silos or is it the cost of it or what 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 would you identify as some sort of a blockers blockers to RTLs become mainstream you're a mute I, I, I still think let me unmute <laughs> in a word power consumption okay that's two words and maybe maybe three words power consumption and coverage i think those are 
major, major um, it's obstacles that hold things back because, you know, as, as, as we were talking about just a minute ago, giving something the energy it needs, leaves the factory with the energy it needs for its entire existence is, is incredibly challenging at the right kind of um, cost points. So, you know, and in order to address that, one needs to often think differently. You know, if we keep iterating, we make those incremental changes. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if you look at uh, our latest device with GPS offloading, you know, we, we think differently and say, okay, does the device actually need to know where it is or do you need to know where the device is? So our LR1110 uh, just gets to uh, the pseudo ranges of the satellites, you uplink that, you fix in the cloud, and you then get a fix for somewhere between two and 10% of the power consumption of getting a full fix with a GPS device. So it's about that thinking differently to get those step changes that I think that we're gonna need. Um, and then coverage, I think coverage really comes down to, um, you know, where do you actually need this thing to work? And many, many times people overthink it because they actually only need to know inventory management. Have I got these things on this site or this site? And that's very, very simple. Um, so I think, I think that's, that's a really big, big issue. I was going to say installation cost. I mean, I was guess, yeah. guessing that I was coming in from a, Know, more indoor kind of perspective um, certainly uh, pretty much every uh, uh, RTLS that that, that 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 uses the information on the system side I, I mean I think uh, Steve made a good point that there are some very interesting consumer applications like air tags out there where it's the phone that's doing the locating um, but but you know in general when we think of RTLS um, or certainly for industrial applications and I believe in the future for some consumer applications as well You'll be looking at locating these uh, tags or devices within some infrastructure, and that really requires, you know, deployment of of items around the environment. And those those items tend to have to have power connected to them because they're some long-lived item that's that's doing a, a lot of sensing, perhaps like the Krupa locators. Um, and uh, you know, one way or another, those things have to have a wire to them, and that's a, a big burden in terms of industrial. Um, kind of uh, RTLS, but I think there are some kind of ways in which that's changing. Um, people are looking now with the advent of 5G and Wi-Fi 6E at doing the, the networking side of, of infrastructure wirelessly. Uh, the, you know, those, those networks are reliable enough and um, have high enough bandwidth and so on to support those applications, you know, in a, in a completely robust way um, and powering those things just using whatever DC or AC bust power is around the factory now that's probably a cheaper way of installing than the way that people do at the minute which is using technologies like uh, power of ethernet and so on so i think there's some there's some hope there that that uh, you know these infrastructure heavy systems will you know for indoors at least uh, will become a bit more um, flexible and as more and more devices are put out there i think we might see a bit of a return to the kind of mesh networking ideas that people have always kind of espoused in these areas but you have to have a certain density of of uh of i you know mesh components in your environment for that to really work which is why i think so far those haven't really taken off steve already would... you mentioned you mentioned already the uh the the kind of the access point based solution for example that that the the 
infrastructure that was originally meant for the communication and data is now being used for the for the RTLS purposes. But what other kind of a drivers could we could we identify for the adoption of these technologies? That would be the, the battery was identified as the one or the lifetime so that the the, the device is able to to cope with the whole um, the, the lifetime of the solution, what it requires, but what other sort of future drivers we get in by here? I, th I think it's, um, it's a lot of it is about kind of accepted norms um, uh, of, of, of what people expect and the ROI being uh, uh, proven. Um, and I think using the Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm piece, I think we're, we're I believe we're still in the chasm, and but I think we're about to um, to cross it. Uh, and what's really required is some gorillas to offer this uh, technology. So I, I believe that there'll be consolidation, there'll be um, uh, acquisitions um, that will make the decision-making process easier. At the moment, you still need experts, people like us, mm. and we should really be irrelevant um, because um, there should be um, major companies, and there are major companies that are investing in this technology just to do what they do. If you think, I mean, I remember when the first packaged accounting systems were implemented and there were questions about, you know, did it really make sense and which one do you choose? And then basically, Oracle Financials, SAP, they rolled out. No one asks, what's the ROI for having an accounting system now? It's just accepted that you need it. Mm. And so the idea of walking around and hiring people to find lost stuff in a man manufacturing environment, the idea of having products in a store which can't be found. So uh, if I look at retail as an example, one of the things that COVID has done is it's taught us that fulfillment um, is easy if you're at home and it's actually a lot simpler and viable to shop from home. So retailers are going to have to compete on experience and having an experience where you don't know what's in stock or where it is, is just completely unacceptable. Um, so I, I believe from a manufacturing perspective, uh, from a retail perspective, that there needs to be a new norm. And I think that's about to occur um you know very soon and i think in the supply chain as well we covid has taught us that um that supply chains are super important um and um again we need to know where stuff is in that supply chain and so that's driving a lot of infrastructure investment more and more containers and trucks are, are being wired it used to be so that they didn't get lost you know where is that truck driver now it's you know, what's in the truck, uh, what's the temperature of it. And so all of this is starting to be joined up. Um, and the, the companies that uh, adopt this technology are, are going to be the winners and the survivors, and the ones that don't will will lose and they'll disappear. And it'll be a Darwinistic thing. Um, and uh, I, I think um, the, the people responsible for supply chains, for manufacturing, for merchandising will over the next year or two, gathering at their conferences will just accept that oh, you've got to do this. And so the question is, where are you going to get it from? And I think more and more of the larger companies are starting to take a position that will uh, 
drive adoption of this because it's part of their price sheet. Can I, can I just um, pick on, up on something Andy mentioned there about uh, you know, the, the, the reliance on deploying infrastructure for your application? And of course, there's you know, it's many things where, for example, you know, our, our smartphone doesn't rely on the fact that we've deployed infrastructure to find it. It basically opens up every radio it has inside, throws everything it receives at um, a computational engine inside Apple or Google, and based on you know cell IDs, Wi-Fi access points, Bluetooth beacons, uh, IP address lookup, everything, we tried to guess where that phone is, and to a large extent, it's pretty pretty good. However, there's a big issue there with using, let's say, shared or public infrastructure that's because um, spoofing and proof of location, even GPS, is widely spoofed. Um, and you know blocked and uh, interfered with so um for me one of the things that's, that's holding back i think richard you got off for a second are you still there okay well let's hope he will back will we'll be back in a second but um one thing I, I, I think um, we have been oh, all talking about. Sorry, Richard, we, we lost you for that, about uh, 20 seconds. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no so, worries. I think no. using. Have I come back? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think using multiple technologies to run some kind of proof of location um, is going to become more and more important as we move move through rel becoming reliant on these technologies. Very well, very well. Hey, and and I, I I have heard many times now us us discussing about supply chain, and it's it's natural because oh, not only we have some some container ship being being jammed in the Suez Canal, but uh, we also have 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 heard about the vaccines, like COVID vaccines, to be being uh, been uh, necessary to 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 have them in the cold temperature and monitor that. But uh, if if you think about from the perspective of of uh, what we call in the in the technology domain end customer someone for example who is working with the supply chain um, how would you advise this kind of a person to choose the rtls technology uh, for for their needs how would you how would you approach this from practical perspective i think there's a number of dimensions that they can uh, look at and uh, it, Obviously, it needs to be driven by business requirements. It's not about uh, getting the uh, the cheapest, uh, the most accurate. The, uh, uh, the, the, your, your choices need to be driven by a business case and deciding what that business case is, and ideally having adjacent business cases in mind, because this really is a platform at its best. You're not uh, you're not um, selecting a technology for for one use case uh, because there's so many things that you can use an rtls for if you just design it for one you're missing out but you do need that uh, lead pin uh, in order to drive the the justification and so i think you do need to look at um, all the typical dimensions which is you know how, how accurate does this uh, 
locationing need to be? How frequently does it uh, uh, need to be done? What is the infrastructure that uh, is available? Do I have the opportunity to uh, upgrade it? And you have to look at um, things like uh, battery life and the form factor of the of the tags that are going to be tracked. So those are some of the dimensions that I think uh, need to be considered. And of course, uh, cost. There's uh, some incredible solutions that are very expensive. Uh, there's a, a great set of solutions where you can spend a, a modest amount uh, and, and get amazing uh, uh, results. I, I guess from my perspective, I, I would always advise clients to be realistic about what accuracy and performance they need. Um, I've come across too many instances where, um, you know, we've been rescuing a situation where essentially an underperforming but perhaps cheap solution has been put in too early, and mm. there's really nothing you can do to make those things work if if they're not delivering the accuracy that you need for your application. And that accuracy level will be different. There'll be some things where, you know, straight BLE at five to ten meters is perfectly adequate. But there'll be other things where you need a bit more, and there'll be things where you need mil millimeter accurate, and and you can't you can't go cheap and then expect software or something like that to magic up extra accuracy to make your application work. So um, I think that uh, that would be my kind of initial take on it. But at the same time, you can't go you know turn the accuracy dial all the way up uh, if it's if it's beyond your budget. So again, people have to be realistic about what they what they need and what they can afford. I think there's there's uh, often people think about RTLS and they only think about track and trace. They only think about asset tracking, but um, you know there's a lot of there's an awful lot more that's in the sort of cradle to grave thing. Like where is my device as soon as it's left the factory? Um, just for example, just take a shipment of cars crossing over from 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 Asia into Europe. They have to stop some at some point. They have to cook. They have to bake the inside of the ship to kill any bugs and things. And you need some kind of report that says this happened to this vehicle. And so having that said, this happened to me, and I was on this ship. And then you have to link that to the ship's location. And you have to start pulling all these things together. And so even before that is owned by someone, tracking that item, where is my water meter installed? The guy is installing ten water meters. He beeps the barcode on there. We just do a one-time location event to check that it makes sense. That proof of location thing again, which says that's the right one, gone on the right property, and bam, it goes alive. So there's a lot more than just tracking widgets and going and finding them and 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 getting them back. There's there's a lot in that. How do I optimize my supply chain because once someone's bought it, they screwed it to the wall or whatever, they don't care anymore. But mm. we did care before someone bought it, or maybe we cared after they bought it, how did something become recycled? Did it make its way to the right place at the end of its life? So there's a lot of those kind of ends that, that don't really get thought of when you first think about um, locations. I, 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 I'd echo that. I mean, I think that there's three real classes of RTLS application that we see. We see kind of visibility, which is where's my stuff. We see analytics, which is where 
you take data over a long period of time and use it to work out trends or um, you know process deviations and so on. And then the toughest is kind of control applications, where essentially you're using the RTLS as a sensor system that provides some sort of you know real-time visibility to computer systems that then make their own decisions about what should happen in an environment, you know, like a factory. Uh, in terms of controlling processes and changing the way the factory works. And as you go up that kind of, you know, uh, visibility analytics control kind of ladder, the, the requirements for accuracy and, and, and the level of performance and reliability that you need increase. Because at the visibility level, at the lowest level, you've got a person in the loop who can tell whether the thing looks sensible, whether it looks a bit crazy, or can interpolate between the points. But by the time you get to the control applications, you really have to be using sensing systems and technology that really gives you the right answer every time because you know the computer system isn't going to have that same level of yeah, does that really look right that, that a person would have if they were in the loop i think there's a lot to be said for, for andy's position i'm going to take a different position and, and after these <laughs> panels everyone always agrees uh, and so i'm gonna maybe being deliberately contrarian Go i ahead. see a counter phenomenon here uh which is um uh, particularly in, uh, in, in, in retail, um, you have a lot of new people coming and they, they get asked the question, how accurate does this need to be? So imagine you're in their, their position and you say, well, it needs to be completely accurate. I want 100%, maybe 99.99% is, uh, uh, is acceptable because we have to know where everything is. And then you ask, well, how accurate is your inventory system at the moment? And the answer is, <laughs> it's kind of like uh, 60% and you're like, okay, so you can spend millions of dollars on something that can get you 100% accuracy um, and this will completely kill the project and you can spend actually very little and get 90% accuracy mm -hmm. and you suddenly had a massive increase, a, a transformational level of uh, precision that can allow you to uh, cut the amount of inventory that you you have by 10%. Cut your capital employed by inventory by 10%. You can uh, delight your customers by finding where these things are. So I'm not seriously debating Andy on his uh, on what he said, but I think I, 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 it's, I think we're violently yeah. we're violently agreeing there, Stephen. That's just what I was saying before about being realistic about what level of accuracy you need, right? I think it's exactly your point. It's crazy right. to say, well, okay, it's going to be 100% right every time in that application but for example if what you're using is a tool that screws in the airbag in a car and that's being controlled by your location system well you better have that dial turned way up probably even yeah. better than a person would do it if they were in the loop because in the end you know somebody's going to come back and say how come you only put something in that was 99.999 percent reliable uh, so i think we're kind of agree, but it's a really good point you know people do tend to uh, you know, either over-specify these things or under-specify these things. It, you've really got to hit the right the right spot uh, where the budget and the accuracy and the performance all be. So, and the and the important thing there is often when, you know, that a device needs accuracy for a very small proportion of its time, but the rest of the time you just need to know if it moved or not, or those kinds of things. But I am going to disagree with Stephen. 10% way too low is closer to 30% in everything I've ever come across. But I, I think I, this take, takes me back to the university and economics 101 that there is still in this RTLC business this like uh, decrease in marginal utility of accuracy so that eventually we, we go to the when, when the next step of accuracy becomes 
so expensive that it really kills the use case. But if, if you're able to find this kind of equilibria and, and so that it serves still the purpose of why do you get the RTL system in the first place, that's, I guess, your best, best thing to do to start with, at least. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's true. I think what you know, one of the challenges, particularly because RTLS is a new um, is a new field, is is knowing you know what what's the thing that's just going to come along where I need that bit more, or uh, you know where the thing that I'm going to put in at a certain price point is not quite enough to do the thing for tomorrow, because you know it, again that's only something that really the market will. Um, uh, illuminate when when it's a bit more mature and people really understand what value RTLS can bring to them and so on. Right, that that you know essentially that there's that looking at that curve and seeing exactly where you want to sit and exactly what investment you want to make. You, you really have to have a, a good view of what RTLS can do for you today and what it might be able to do for you in the very near future as well. Uh, from an application point of view, not a technology. Point. Mm -hmm. and so so I, I'm going to pick up on that right there, Andy. You know because uh, we started a few years ago to try to define what was holding things back and we decided to put the world into two camps. There were what we, we called technologists and there were the people who innovate around the application, the applicationist. So the technologists understand maths and physics and how all the equations make sense and how an angular arrival can be put into you know, a location and they know the limitations. And as Stephen said a minute ago, when you design a technology, you better make it adaptable to multiple applications, otherwise you're selling yourself short. For me, the technologists just know everything about that technology and the application innovators don't have to understand the technology. I think they just need to say, tell me the constraints, the box I need to live in, and I can say whether that's for me valuable or not. So if I'm trying to design you know, uh, just to take a stupid example, a dog collar, right? Then mm -hmm. this, my dog spends 95% of its time in the home. Mm -hmm. I just need to know if it's home or not. And so if it fires up a GPS every 15 minutes, it's a complete waste of power. So I just need to know, is it home or not? So when I understand the actual application, that is very different to something to track my briefcase or my bicycle. They're very different applications. So, so when we when when we get these two worlds, somehow we have to bridge them because the technologists love their technology and they just love saying, "Look at this! How I can put these things there and I can make magic happen." And then the application guys come and say, "I could I could kill this with that," and they just need to really bring together and make this kind of recipe of the different things. I think, I think it's what Stephen was saying, maybe. Were you? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, and I think uh, we're, we're in this stage where um, we need, we still need technologists. I think we'll know we've truly crossed the chasm when all this stuff becomes so commoditized, it's just built into uh, the infrastructure and the, and the systems. But um, uh, at the moment, we still need uh, those technologists who have an incredible uh, insight into the business um, side of things. And uh, I, I was thinking back to a project that I was working on where there was a really good 
uh, head of technology who saw the business problems because he was kind of responsible for some of them. Um, and um, um, he did this amazing thing. He actually, it was, it was a Cooper project um, and we deployed the technology and he put these tags on these uh, automated delivery vehicles that were whizzing around uh, developing stuff. Uh, delivering uh, uh, pallets from one part of the factory to another. Uh, and he recognized that he needed, to, he'd sold this to the CFO with a great ROI. I'm not sure how real it was, but it was, it stood up to prodding and poking by a finance uh, guy. But the thing that really sold this project to uh, the, the, the leaders of this company was a dashboard where these dots were moving around in real time, a little bit like the Cooper tags on the ice hockey mm. players. And those business people, the ROI was completely forgotten. That when they could <laughs> see this happening in real time, they were like, this is the future. This is how we're gonna compete. There's no question that we should uh, do this. So sometimes it's, uh, it's not the technology, it's kind of this uh, passionate uh, response that uh, where people can see this vision of uh, how things are gonna change, how every uh, tool, uh, work in progress item, finished product, uh, raw material is gonna be tracked and, and how that's gonna give, that's gonna drive who are the winners and the losers in their industry. All right. Uh, I think we're soon turning to the latter part of the panel, so a couple minutes left for the questions. But uh, is, is anyone feeling bold enough to give some future predictions of RTLS? So where are we heading? Heading, and who, who will be these winners? And, and what should we bet on? Which technologies? Which I, I actually love the, the Richard was saying about design thinking. So starting the process from the from that perspective, but. Uh, Take the mic. It's it's your turn. So, I, I, you know, I, I guess I've I've spent all of my career um, in real deep technology companies, and one thing that uh, being involved in Laura um, has really taught me is that y you can think of twenty applications for a particular sensor, and then you'll meet another guy who said, "Oh, I'm using that for this," and you know, microphones to hear termites attacking houses, you know, um, all kinds of sensors for, for uh, palm olive, palm oil trees, all kinds of things where, um, you know, the cows eating a bolus and this thing is sitting inside them, you know, taking their temperature and their pulse. So one thing is for sure, I, I don't believe the technologists understand the industry and I don't believe the technologists understand the applications but sure, we absolutely need them because they provide the ingredients for the recipes that make the real solution. And the design thinking approach is to start with the problem and say, how can I, what ingredients can I take? And I think there aren't gonna be, there's not gonna be technology winners. I don't mm. back one horse in this camp because you know, just imagine someone says to you, um, you can do this all on Wi-Fi, um, why do you, you don't need Bluetooth anymore. So hang on a minute, you know, <laughs> they all do different jobs and they are all better and worse at different jobs. So I don't believe the, uh, the who's gonna win 
there is no one winner. The winners are going to be those people that make the right recipe, the right mix, and optimize to completely uh, you know, to take out the cost and the power and make it make it a whole solution that lives in the real world. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think this, I think uh, you know, again, it's probably a, one of these areas where we're all we're all completely agreed, which is that there's no <laughs> there's no best sensor. There's just the best sensor mm. for the job. Um, but I will stick my neck out and uh, and highlight a couple of technologies which I think are, have got real uh, uh, real potential for opening up areas that were previously difficult in terms of RTLS. So the first is RTK GPS. Um, basically, for those of you who don't know, it's a kind of uh, multi-frequency um, differential um, GPS technology, which is just you know it's been around in surveying uh, for for several years uh, it's used in things like high-end agriculture and so on and it's now getting to the point where it's it's kind of consumer grade uh, and that really is amazing stuff so for outdoor tracking of of things where you've got decent sky visibility and some power um, it really is phenomenally accurate probably about um you know two or three centimeters in 3d and it really works it's fantastic technology and then the other thing i think that's kind of interesting coming along which uh, you know, I I kind of seen a paper from about 1984 by a guy called Gary Bishop, which described this in 1984. And he described a kind of little cube that had cameras pointing in every direction and an inertial measurement unit. And it was called the optical self tracker. And when I was studying location systems at university in, in the mid 90s, that kind of like, oh man, that guy was ahead of his time. Well, now you can kind of buy these things technology has got to the point where optical self-tracking using slam and so on you know that sounds like a really oh, i think that's a really interesting technology and companies like Slamcore uh, and so on are taking that now and embedding it in vehicles and 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 so on and i think that's another really interesting data feed that doesn't rely on those kind of infrastructure uh, uh deployments and so on so it, again it needs power and they they have to work on that i'm sure um, but those technologies, I think, are going to be really interesting additional data feeds for those kind of, you know, challenging applications where you need centimeter level outdoors or, or positioning in building without great deals of infrastructure. Loving it, loving it. Hey, then the bonus question to Steve. So, so when everything is expected to be free of come free of charge in today's world, who is paying the lunches for everyone? <laughs> um, I think it's the brands. It's the it's the companies that that make things. They have so much to uh, gain uh, by um, basically turning the Internet of Things into uh, the Internet of Everyday Things. At the moment, um, tracking and uh, RTLS is is focused on expensive things and. Uh, mm. This is self-serving. Uh, it's kind of what we were working on at Williot with kind of this self-powered uh, stuff. But I think there's going to be a bunch of companies that compete with us that uh, uh, latch onto this. Uh, and I think it's the brands who mm -hmm. up until now have not had visibility of their products after they leave the factory. And they will know where they are in stores. They'll start to understand when consumers are interacting with them in the store in the home and i see a future where um uh where everything is tracked whether it's people tools uh products 
and those that tracking will continue into the home. We're starting to get smarter homes with infrastructure that can uh, provide the connectivity. And uh, you know, the days of losing your passport or uh, losing your socks, uh, having the odd sock syndrome, that will end. And and so who benefits from that? It, uh, it's the it's the brands that make things, and they're all going to be trying to be the Netflix of grocery, the Netflix of clothing. There'll be a future, uh, a circular economy future where because uh, products are, are tracked, because they're uh, aware, um, we'll invest more in them. They'll be better quality. Uh, they'll last longer. And they won't just have one um, owner. That's what I, that's my kind of hopeful vision of the future. And I think, um, if you can be the Netflix of, of grocery or the Netflix of clothing, streaming products in, understanding how they're being used, your valuation goes up. Uh, you know, we only need to look at the valuation of Tesla versus uh, conventional <laughs> um, uh, uh, car companies. So I think there's real incentives for the CXOs to invest in that uh, future. Um, and I think they'll be rewarded, and I'm really hopeful that consumers will uh, um, will latch on to the idea of having quality products that last uh, last longer, uh, rather than this disposable economy that we're living in at the moment. Thank you, Steve. I, I think that's a good good moment to to, to stop. And un unfortunately, we our time is up. I, I wish I I could continue this discussion further because. Perhaps we have to do another session another time and record them and have them available online. But uh, just to sum it up, I, I think there is again no silver bullet, but there are a lot of good bullets to use, and 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 there will be smart technologists and and the solution providers and consult consultants who will who will put these uh, ingredients together to to combine enrich the data with location and, and information possibly to save money with it or even save lives with that. Isn't that only what we all are after? And and uh, I, I think it's 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 great job what you guys are doing and what we are doing and what we're doing together, I think will be great, great future ahead. Once again, huge thanks for the panelists. You were fantastic. And uh, um, thank you for the audience. Back to you, Thomas. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.